Welcome to the Archways Podcast. Archways is recorded on the campus of Johnson C. Smith University and intended to support the goals of the Center for American Cultural and Race, which is housed on the campus of our partner institution, Guangdong Baiyun University in Guangzhou, China. The center and this podcast are designed to help our Chinese colleagues and friends understand and experience American culture through the lens of race. Here now are your hosts from Johnson C. Smith, Dr. Brian Jones, and Dr. Matthew DeForest. So welcome back. Uh, we are here today with uh, Reggie Page, who is um, who has two roles relative to China. Uh, he is a recent participant in our Fulbright Hayes Group Projects Abroad grant, uh, where he got to go to China for six weeks. Um, and he is also the intern for the American Cultural Center uh, and is the editor of this podcast currently. Um, so he will get to edit his, uh, his own work um, for today. Uh, but also and importantly, uh, on the website associated with this podcast, uh, we have put up a short documentary. I, I suppose you should tell me if, if short is the technical correct term. It's about an hour long. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that documents uh, his time with the Fulbright-Hayes Group Projects Abroad Grant. So, uh, Reggie, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, so give us just a little bit of the, uh, the initial background on the, on the documentary itself. Okay. Because you, you started with the filming of it, uh, so I recall correctly, like six months before you went in December. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you took it all the way through the end of the grant and then, uh, or I'm sorry, the end of the trip, uh, and then did some reflection at the end uh, on your thoughts on the, on the trip. So uh, who better than the man who did it then to give us a rundown of, of what's there in the documentary? Well, um, the whole point of the documentary was <clears throat> um, to give people that, you know, never really traveled the world exposure and the open-mindedness. Um, you know, going to HBCU, it's not really common to hear about uh, black people learning Chinese or just learning something other than Spanish or French. Um, so, you know, and like the the classmates that I had and our teacher were so close and I was always interested in just doing a little short documentary uh, for the trip. So from when we first, well, not first began, but about our second year taking Chinese, that's when I decided to start it. My Chinese teacher and my classmates, they were like, hey, go for it. So uh, I did that and did my point of view of the things that I separated in different sections, I separated with um, culture. So when we went to the museums, when we went to see the Terracotta Warriors and other stuff, I did that part. Uh, when we were actually inside the classrooms learning from actual Chinese teacher, some who only spoke Chinese and some who spoke very little English, uh, but you know they tried their best. And then you know the, the fun part where we made Chinese friends, where we went to see a play where I got to eat so much food. So, you know, uh, that, that was pretty much it. And it, just one little detail that I think you left out, your, your intended major here is? Oh, uh, I am a communication arts major, minor in Chinese. Um, but after I graduate, I, I do plan on going to film school. So this, the entire idea of the project, I, I just want to stress, is, um, is something that, that flows very naturally, both into and out of your studies here at JCSU. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and with that in mind, I, I don't want to speak for, uh, for Dean Jones along with myself. You're the clear expert in the room, at least as I'm concerned, as far as filmmaking and things like this. Yeah, without question. Yeah, so, <laughs> so do not hesitate to, uh, to correct me if I'm using the wrong, wrong words to talk about some of this. Um, so you've given us the basic rundown of the, of the film that... Uh, would, is it, first off, appropriate to call it a film? What is the technical term for, for what it is that you did? Documentary film. Okay. Yeah, so. um, 
so you've had the hour, give or take the hour film, uh, posted on YouTube and also uh, available link to our website um, with the intended purpose of, um, of spreading the word about international experiences in an international travel. Um, I, I want to start out before we get into some of the questions of, um, of the culture of, of the experiences in China uh, with some technical questions about the film, um, which you may have to correct me as I ask them. Uh, because one of the things that I noticed in the film is that it, it seems to follow um, the, the contemporary trend of not being, and, and this is where I'm going to need you to provide me with the right technical language, uh, not neat. Mm -hmm. So you get the rougher cuts, you get the, the pans are not smoothly transitioned and bled out and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, why did you choose that particular style? <clears throat> um, it felt more real. Um, you know, you, anybody could put together a documentary and try to make it look neat as possible. Make sure, you know, I, when I film us getting food or teachers, I'm going to have to be like, you know, okay, please do that again so I could get a better angle. No, I wanted to make sure it was real as possible. You know, uh, candid camera. You know, so it, it was just more for, you know, people can actually feel it and relate to it better versus, you know, oh, this is a nice film and it could be staged or when it's in reality all real. So mm -hmm. one of the um, the the thing that made me ask that question in particular um, was I, I was reviewing it um, this morning. Uh, and the the volume change when you went in to see the Terracotta Warriors mm -hmm. really leapt out. Um, and it's it's one thing that it, perhaps an American audience wouldn't necessarily expect as much because when we go into a museum space, it tends to be more subdued, more quiet. Mm -hmm. um, this was very loud. Um, so it, it seemed to me that you were trying to capture something there of the of the almost differences in volume level and um, and cultural expectations, perhaps, um, since since explicitly you talk about in a few places in the film, uh, or the the teachers anyway do about cultural expectations, uh, the the conversation. I think I remember right. It's a, isn't it surrounding. Um, you know, why don't you come over for dinner or something like that? And the yes and no's and... Yeah, um, in like, yeah, so in one part of the film, uh, we had a little, a little culture lesson where the teacher, she was explaining the difference between Americans and Chinese. So it was from, you know, they believe that Americans have real high self-esteem and Chinese that have low self-esteem. Or uh, when you're going out to dinner, uh and you go out to a restaurant, there's no taxes in China. So that's different. You don't tip the waitress because it seems kind of disrespectful um, or not appropriate. Uh, and the food is for everybody versus in America, everybody gets their own individual plate. Um, in America, they believe that we take showers in the daytime and they always take showers at night. So it's like she was explaining just many culture differences, even the museums. Um, that you could see that when we went to see the Terracotta Warriors, it was packed. Like, I was, like, trying to squeeze through, trying to get closer or even get out um, versus, you know, when you're in America and you go to a museum, even a huge exhibit is not going to be as crowded uh, as the Terracotta Warriors. And, you know, that goes to show you how, from my observation and in my opinion, how much... Chinese cherish their culture versus how we view, you know, our culture and our history, mm -hmm. you know, in America. So, can you talk a bit about the um, the Terracotta Warrior exhibit from an American perspective? This is something that many most Americans have not seen yet. It has toured. Um, I think most recently, at one point, it was in Atlanta, which I think may have been the closest it's been to Charlotte. But could you talk a bit about you know how that 
how that came to you, how you how you experienced that, and what that was like for you as an American. Um, so I always see the Terracotta Warriors on TV, cartoons, real life. And initially I thought the Terracotta Warriors was just that one little room where, you know, you have all the statue soldiers, which I thought there were mummies. I'm not going to lie. I thought there were mummies. Um, but, you know, they're actually statues and they were made to uh, protect uh, the first emperor. Um <clears throat> But come to find out that there were at least three, yeah, three rooms uh, that had the statues. So one, the main room, the first room that we went to, that's where we saw like all the soldiers and stuff. But then a different room, you saw chariots, you know, horses and other stuff. And then a different room, it was the same thing. And then on the ground, it was the number four. And they said they're going to start uh, digging under because there's still more to be found. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't even know it was that big. Uh, so from an American point of view, it was just more of a awe and shock and, you know, a nice learning lesson. So, Yes, it's, um, it's you know, obviously, as you noted, the tomb of the first Chinese, the emperor who united most of China and modern mm-hmm. China, what we consider modern China. Uh, back um, somewhere around three or four thousand years ago, if I remember right. But um, uh, it's interesting, and, and and this of course goes to to your documentary as well. But I, I really want to ask you about um, what you started off with, which was the notion of of being a student at an HBCU and taking advantage of study abroad experiences and learning uh, a language that many of your counterparts at other HBCUs would not take. Um, in this case, you've been uh, into China under two different auspices, as Dr. DeForest said. One is the Fulbright-Hayes, langu- uh, the culture and, and uh, language, and then another for the cultural center itself. So I, I wanted to ask you to talk a bit about, and remember that we're, we're trying to talk to our, our Chinese audience as well, about your experience as an African-American male learning Chinese at an HBCU and going to China uh, and, and interacting with your, with your peers over there. So I just had this conversation, actually, with my Chinese friends back in China. Um, So they asked me, why was, you know, me and Thomas the only people in the class? And I told them, you know, a lot of people here at the HBCU, when I asked them, you know, that I'm taking Chinese, I mean, when I tell them that I'm taking Chinese, they look at me like just with a crazy look in their eyes, and they're just like, that's crazy, you know, and I'm just like, you know, the thing that scares them the most about taking Chinese is that, you know, they're not, they don't have a a alphabet system. They have characters. And so from right there, people are usually like turned off to even like give it to them because they believe that it's too hard. Um, Going and then, you know, also a lot of people, they, they believe that Chinese people don't like black people. So and I always hear that all, all the time. I read blogs about it where they were like, yeah, I lived in China for two weeks and they hated black people. And I was like, you know, I feel like I need to experience this for myself. Um, so when we went to Xi'an, um, that place was, you know, that's central China. So they really don't get as much foreigners. Um, so when they saw me, they were like, whoa, you know, they were just, like, staring, taking their phones out, taking pictures and stuff. I don't mind it. I, I like, I, like, hmm. You didn't, did you take that as, you didn't take that as an offensive no. activity, no. Because, you know, in America, and it's like, I thought about this, you know, in America, we're so diverse. You're going to see somebody that's Chinese, Japanese, Korean, black, South African, you know, just different types of races because that's America. We're very diverse versus China where, majority of the population is Chinese and the different, you know, uh, ethnicities of Chinese. Um, so for them to see a black person, and a black person specifically, they see, they see white people. And we had, you know, some white people with us on the trip, and they were just like, oh, okay, that's cool, foreigners. And they saw us, they are like, the hair, the just everything. They were just so shocked. I was playing basketball, mm. and they were just like, I had like a huge crowd and it was as if I was like, you know, Kobe Bryant or something, you know. Uh, 
So, you know, and then on top of that, when I actually spoke Chinese to them, you know, it, it was even from just a ni hao or xie xie, just thank you, very small things, they took that with so much, you know, appreciation and they were like, all right, come on, we're going to take you out to eat and they just want to be my friend and just hang out with me, teach me more Chinese and like, you know, they, they welcomed me with open arms. Um, when we got to Guangzhou, um, it was different uh, from Xi'an. Guangzhou, they get more foreigners. Uh, they have way more foreigners. Um, I actually saw my first, uh, you know, group of black people, uh, and they were from Africa. Uh, and, it, you know, it seemed that, you know, the Chinese people, they really didn't care for them um, because some, they had their own businesses. Um, but one person, she was telling me that, you know, some of them, they don't speak Chinese and they just still speak their native tongue when they have their businesses. And like, they, they don't like that, you know, because it's like, why are you not speaking Chinese? You're in China. Um, and then, you know, so it was like in Guangzhou, the foreigners and Xi'an, they don't get as much foreigners. So that's, that's what I really think, uh, it was a huge difference. Uh, between if they actually like black people or not. But even then, when I was in Guangzhou and I spoke Chinese, they were like, oh, oh, hey, what's up? You know, took me out. We went to, uh, you know, eat food, have fun, and it was it was overall good. So it's like, it's more of, you know, be open-minded, uh, embrace their culture, you know, try at least to speak somewhat, you know, a little bit of Chinese. Because if they see that you're trying majority of the time, at least from what I experienced, you know, majority of the time they're like, oh, that's cool, you know. And also, you know, they can't really trick you into uh, overcharging you for stuff if you, you can try, so. <laughs> that's interesting. We took, um, just as a related topic, we took a, a group of students to Russia, um, three students from Smith to Russia, and they... In, in Red Square, they encountered a similar kind of response uh, from the Russian people on the ground, which was to say um, that person is very obviously not a Russian, uh, and they are very obviously black, and they thought, they, you know, they came up, they spoke to us, they, they asked about basketball, the NBA, which is extraordinarily mm -hmm. popular both in Russia and in, in China, and um, it, was, it was just an interesting kind of similar the way in which you described the interaction. Um, and I, it's it's curious too because I, I wonder the extent to which the notion of your distinctiveness or anyone's distinctiveness from HBCU on the ground is that that's very obviously a foreigner, i.e., not Chinese, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to hey, that's a black person, um, you know, just maybe some one of those things that pops up uh, from culturally. But um, it's 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 an interesting experience, and I think this is the kind of thing we really need to hear as much as we can about. And I'm glad you produced a, a you know film to sort of document this. Because going forward as an HBCU, with our attempts to continue to expand our international brand, um, we've got to convince young men and women like yourself to take a leap to make these trips. Uh, going to Russia was a bold trip. Going to China is a bold trip for us. It's not as bold to go to, in our case, uh, we've been to South Africa for that matter, and, and uh, I believe they went to Ghana. Um, those, Senegal. In Senegal, right. Those are important and, and, and you know, worthy trips, but it's a different leap for mm -hmm. a young African-American man or woman to go to China right. and to go to Russia, where it's, you're not going to run into what you might be used to. So it's very important stuff. Yeah, and it's best to like, you know, get away from what you're really comfortable for. You know, because when we were on the trip, there were some kids that wanted to go to the McDonald's and go to the Starbucks and Walmart and H&M. And some kids, like, you know, my group, we just wanted to do everything that the Chinese do, you know. So you've got, again, about an hour's worth of material. What didn't get in that you would have kind of in retrospect now that it's out there? Um, there there's the old saying that books and films are never finished, they're only published. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what do you think is missing that you would like people to know about? Uh, so many things. Uh, two main things that I wish I did, I, I totally forgot to put in. Like I had it 
<laughs> like I thought about it and I just like forgot. So the first part was that I woke up every morning. Me and Chalasher, uh, we woke up every morning to play ping pong while we're in Xi'an. And uh, before classes, before breakfast, we went to the little ping pong court. And like the ping pong court, it was like, you know, about 20 tables and it was always filled up. And like they were just going at it. And I just thought that was like so cool because, you know, you know, like Chinese and ping pong. That's the national sport. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to see if they're actually, like, real good at this. Oh, they were real good. <laughs> so, you know, I got, I learned the people, they were like, we're going to buy you a, a ping pong, uh, uh, you know, paddle. There it goes. Uh, and they, I mean, they even took me and my teacher to the little sports store so they could buy us a ping pong paddle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the tea ceremony. Um, from, I, I realized that, Either I probably put one in, or I didn't put none, um, because I found three different uh, tea ceremonies: one from Xi'an, one from Guangzhou, and one from uh, when we were in Beijing for the last three days. Um, so in Xi'an, you know, the lady she was just explaining the different types of teas. Guangzhou, they're just telling us the benefits about the tea, and then uh, Beijing, we actually went to a tea house and. We saw even more types, different types of tea from when we were in Xi'an and Guangzhou. So, I wish I uh, paid a little bit of tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tea is one of the. Um, strangely enough, I don't know as we've we've touched on that much in the yeah. uh, in the podcast. The not really the sayings that here at Johnson C Smith that. Um, that people really expect if you go to China that y- you've come back having seen two things, pandas and the Great Wall, mm-hmm. um, without really understanding how many hundreds of miles are in between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but the it's it's almost as if tea is, is taken, oh, of course you did something with tea over there. Tea and rice. <laughs> and rice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, every, every day we drink tea. Uh, I mean, hot tea. I mean, it was really hot. It was humid. And then when you want to get something to eat, they're like, here's some tea. And you're just like... And to the point I got used to it, just drinking tea. But it, it was like... That was like probably like the only part that I really had to get adjusted to. Just drinking hot tea. I went to the sports store. It was very hot that day. And they're like, oh, here's some special tea that will cool your body down. I'm just like, all right, cool. I'm thinking it's cold tea. No, it's hot. Nice and hot. Yeah, the the Irish also believe that that if if you if you've got a hot day the best thing you can do is drink some hot tea and that will help cool you down. Um, I'm, I've never really understood that, uh, but uh, can you talk a bit about your? Um, uh, you just mentioned again uh, going to the sports store. You mentioned uh, the 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 ping pong effort that was made and, and the uh, <laughs> basketball that you played for a while. Can you talk a little bit about your interaction with sport in China and the, the, how the students and the people that you saw responded to sport? It's sort of one of those growing universal languages. Um, so, of course, a lot of people play ping pong. Um, some of the students, when they were showing me around campus, they were like, do you want to play ping pong? I was like, yeah, they're like, I'll be right back. They went to their room, got their like little ping pong set. So I was like, okay, it's real. It's very serious out here. Um, and it seemed like it's just like a little nice exercise, very recreational, um, very competitive sometimes. Um, but a lot of people play basketball. And I, I know basketball is very popular, and they're very into uh, American, the NBA. Um, you know, they're like, oh, who's your favorite player? Do you like Steph Curry? No. Uh, do you, do you like Kobe Bryant? Do you like Allen Harbison? Oh, I know all these players. You know they just want to talk about basketball. And uh, one of a very good friend that I'm I met in China uh, that we played basketball together. Uh, I mean, they know how to ball. <laughs> like he almost crossed me up, but uh, excuse me. But uh, <clears throat> um, the sports. It's I mean. It's not as if they can't play. Same, uh, similar, or how similar or different than what you encounter in the United States with young people in the United States? How would you how would you compare the two? It's very similar. 
It's very similar. Like, if I went to the park and I see back at home, if I went to the park and uh, go to the basketball courts, I'll just say, I got next. And when you're in China, I want to play. They're like, all right, you got next. So, I mean, it's the same thing. They, they play a nice game to 21. They play with teams. I mean, they play one-on-one. So it's it's the same. And they even coach. Uh, one of my friends, he coached uh, the PB basketball team. So it was it's pretty very similar. The friends that you've mentioned, um, how, how many friends at this stage are you keeping in touch with in China? Ballpark, you know. Ballpark. We don't have to take a census or anything like that. <laughs> Um, about eight of them, yeah. Is that primarily through WeChat, or is that through... Mm. Okay. Through WeChat. Um, and FaceTime. And so. FaceTime, okay. How easy or how difficult did you find it to, to make these kinds of lasting friendships in China as compared to what for our Chinese audience, perhaps, uh, or for any American audience, compared to to the creation of friendships here in the United States. Well, one one friend that I made, he he was like around the the student the study abroad students uh, a lot, and the one thing he told me it was that he liked me because I you know just treated him like a regular person. I didn't treat him any differently if he was Chinese. He could tell, he was, I could tell that how you treat, you know, you know, Thomas and your other friends, you treat me as if, you know, I'm one of, one of you and they like that. Um, and I mean, they're, they're regular people and that's how I really just treat all of them. Uh, of course, you know, we help each other. So it's like if they didn't know that much English, I teach them English, and they'll teach me authentic Chinese words and mm-hmm. slang, and I give them the exchange. Uh, you know, one of my friends, uh, Holly, she uh, was like, "Yes, the only Chinese words, I mean English words that I know is hello, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, and bingo." And so I was like, "All right, it says same bingo, just say for show." And she's like, <laughs> oh, "Okay," so you know, and like we went out to get food. I mean, it's just. I mean, we did what friends usually do, and we went to get food. They helped me with my homework. I taught them a little English words, and, you know, we just did things together willingly. You know, I'll, like, hit them up, be like, hey, do you want to, you know, get some lunch? And they're like, yeah, let's go. And so. So you didn't find any significant cultural Differences in the way, say, an American would make friends with someone and the way someone from China would make friends with someone. Yeah, not really. Because, like, one friend I made, I'm a gamer. I love playing video games. One of my friends, he plays video games. And he was like, oh, you play video games? Oh, are you, you, we can, you can go to my room. We'll play some video games. And I was like, cool. So it was just you find interests and you connect and you talk, you hang out, and then you make a nice little bond. It's very similar. No no differences at all. Just besides the speaking, that's it. One of the things that you, you covered in your film, um, covered may be the wrong word, but that you recorded in your film was the, um, the unexpected side trip into the Muslim quarter of Xi'an, mm-hmm. uh, which, which you made got to participate in because you made a friend uh, in that area. Um, there are a number of different subcultures in China, of course. Um, and I, I, let me tell you a short story to preface the question. Um, because when I lived in Ireland, uh, a friend of mine talked about uh, watching a television program where someone was playing some music um, and she was sitting there with the family that she lived with. Uh, and they they responded uh, using what in Ireland would be now considered a derogatory term, ah, he's a tinker, uh, which means he's part of the traveling community there in Ireland, um, as opposed to being from one of the four provinces. He hadn't said a word. 
uh, all he was there was playing music. Um, and the announcer came on afterwards and said, you know, this is his name. He's a member of the traveling community. And they were able to see immediately the difference in a way that she couldn't. Um, there are, and you would probably know more more than I would, the, the any, there are a significant number of, of cultures and subcultures within the greater Chinese culture. Um, as you were going through the different parts of China, were you able to pick up on the differences in the cultures? Oh, very much. Um, so, so from ethnicities to the religions and everything. Um, so with the ethnicities, uh, Ishian, uh, you know, I, when they were telling me that you'll start to hear accents and just people pronounce words differently, you know, that's, uh, they were like, when you get to Guangzhou, that's when you'll start to hear it. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But, you know, I got, I finally got used to the way they talk. I can understand stuff better now. Uh, then when I went to Guangzhou, you know, southern China, uh, they don't make a SH sound or X sound. So it sounds like S. So when they add, when they, uh, when you're trying to buy something every day, uh, I used to always buy some milk tea and brisk, uh, some brisk. And all in total, it was $10. And that's sure in Chinese. Uh, but the way they always said it was S. And I'm like, that's four, you know, and they're like, I'm like, four, and they're like, no, I'm like, that's weird, and then when you hear the Cantonese uh, people talk as well, the different dialects, it's it's like a different language, you could pick out a couple words, but more than none, it's like a completely different language, but it's like, you can kind of tell that it's not just Mandarin, it's Cantonese. Um, and then we went to a uh, Buddhist temple. Uh, and, you know, of course, going to China, that's really what I thought. Uh, the only uh, faith that, yeah, the only practice that they really do, that's what I really thought. But um, one friend I have, she's Christian. Um, <clears throat> the Muslim quarter, where, I mean, it speaks for itself, and it just, I mean, that's amazing that China is as diverse as America, you know, and you really wouldn't know that unless you go there, or unless, you know, you have people that could tell you, you know, front hand that, oh, there's mo there are Muslims in China, that there are Christians in China. Not everybody are Buddhists, not everybody are Buddhist monks or I mean it's just different things that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about nor do they really care to see. So it's it was amazing. Uh and yeah, culture shock a little bit. I was very surprised when they were like, Oh, if we're gonna go to the Muslim quarter, I was like Muslim, they're like, Yeah. We have Muslims here. That's like, that's cool. So, and that was the uh, the area of the city, if I remember your documentary correctly, um, was one of the anchor points for the Silk Road. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so it would have had trading relationship with the uh, with the greater world of Islam, um, moving out towards eventually um, either the Levant or um, or Constantinople, right. then Constantinople. Constantinople, now Istanbul. <laughs> um, Can I ask what, what your family says about your travels? Um, well, my family, uh, they embrace it. They love it. They love that. I'm going out the country. Um, one of my uncles, he was like, do you want to live in China? I was like, uh, I don't mind. <laughs> I, I did not mind at all. And he was like, are you sure? You know, they're communists over there. Right. That's, that's what I was driving at. <laughs> and I was like, you know, they're more, you know, social, like socialist type communism. So it wasn't really like extreme. Like if I was like to insult 
the prime minister or the chairman. Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to get in trouble. Um, granted, I wouldn't you yeah, know, I test that water, yeah. but <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> test that out. But um, I mean, it didn't seem like it was strict or it was like, you know, people, they live their life. It's crowded. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was just overall a nice country. And my family, they were like, hey, go for it. Um, Ashley, my aunt, she uh, she wants to give me this internship um, that has film ties with China. Mm -hmm. And, like, I always thought about um, if I ever got an opportunity to get into the Chinese film industry, I would probably take that over, you know, Hollywood um, due to the fact just that I love China so much and I could see myself living in China and making films in China, so... I ask because it's one of the it's the area of the world where, uh, generally speaking, Americans have the least familiarity and the least understanding, and so usually you get stereotypical views of of China and the Chinese people. Uh, in fact, this is in large measure what this this American Cultural Center and its counterparts are like, and what their purpose is is to make sure that that Chinese people understand the United States, and of course the the reverse is also true. So I would I would expect from your family and not just your family but anybody's family of of young students going to China, a certain kind of response. And it's interesting that the that they they did ask you about the politics of it, which is something we typically do not get into. But it's usually uh, when people go. I think, and as a historian, I've spent a lot of time studying East Asian civilizations in one form or fashion, and you come to appreciate that uh, the the things that you expect to be reasonably different and markedly different are just not that way. And it's, right. you know, the, the ways in which they get along are very much the ways in which we get along um, as Americans. And there's not a whole lot of, there's cultural differences, there's language distinctions, there's traditions and folkways that are very different, but when it all shakes down, their human experience is very similar to ours. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to bring that message back to the family and to other Americans who will never go to China, but who will without hesitation, offer their opinions and, and perspective on, on China and the Chinese people. So, mm -hmm. What surprised you most about China? The people. I mean, the people, were, I mean, just always, like, before going again, like, just hearing people tell me, like, the negative views of China and just, oh, they're not going to like you probably, or, I mean, just how much, and they were like, whoa, hello, hi. What's your name? And I spoke. I mean, they just, it was just, that's, that's like the thing that really surprised me the most. I mean, I, I expected to see, you know, the monuments and the pagodas and the terracotta words. I expected to see those. Um, I expected to drink tea and eat rice. I expected to eat great food. Um, and I expected to have uh, teachers that only speak Chinese. So, I mean, just the people, just how much the people really, uh, at least for me, uh, how much the people enjoyed me being there, how many friends that I met, and how many people were willing to shake my hands and take pictures with me. Some people, you know, I didn't even know. I'd just be on the wall riding my tandem bike, and they're like, excuse me, can we take a picture? And I'm like, Sure. Make me feel like a celebrity. So it, it, it was just, you know, it kind of feed my ego a little bit. So uh, that's probably the thing that really surprised me the most. Just coming from America, me having like a little fear. And by the second second day, it just went straight out the window. And I just felt comfortable. When your family and when other students ask you about China, um, what do you think that there is their biggest misconception now as someone who's been to China and returned? Um, that they don't like black people. Uh, that since they are a communist country, that it's pretty much the Red Scare and terrible. Uh, and then... Uh, yeah, those are like the two major ones. Like, everybody's like really afraid of it being a communist country and that they don't like black people or they just don't like people in general. Mm -hmm. So, 
it's one of those things. At least with my family and the, my friends, because even when I came back from China, I, I told my homegirl uh, that, you know, they do like black people, you know. I mean, at least if you embrace their culture and they see that, they, they do see that and they kind of just like, okay, you're cool. And then she tried to get into a whole debate and a whole argument about, no, they don't. I read this article and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> did you go? And she's like, no. I was like, then why are you talking? Don't try to argue with me. So, so yeah. What do you think the biggest misconception of the Chinese is about Americans that you saw while you were there? Hmm. A lot of them thought we were very, very rich. They were false on that. I ain't that rich. Um, broke college student. Um, <laughs> they, my friend, he thought, he actually thought that white people had like, he didn't see that black people had different shades. He thought I was a white guy with a nice tan. Okay. Really? Yeah. Um, Fascinating. And he was like, yeah, you know, he was like, you know, telling me we're talking. And he's like, you know, he's like, you know, what's your your race? Are you a white guy or are you a black guy? He's like, I was like, oh, I'm black. And he's like, really? Like, he was just so, like, shocked him and his girlfriend. They're like, really? They're like, I was like, yeah. He's like, huh, I thought you were a white guy with a nice tan. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, no, nah, no, I'm black. Become a different shade. So he's like. Oh wow! I didn't know that. She's like, yeah, me either. And she's like, you know, when we see black people, uh, we we see them with you know curly hair and you know dark skin, and that's all we know. Because when we watch TV, that's all we see as well. And I was like, oh well, there's a lot of my shade, and sometimes even lighter. And they're like, wow. So probably the different shades of black. And white, just the different shades of color that they really didn't weren't used to. So interesting. Did they? Um, and I, this is something I don't remember if if I dealt with um, directly. But one of the purposes of this center is to help uh, Chinese uh, understand, uh, help the Chinese people understand the sort of uh, progress or the development or the understanding of race in the United States. Mm-hmm. So the notion of different shades of, of black would be one aspect of that. Did they ask you about um, things like um, Ferguson and Martin Luther King and things of that nature that are connected to the civil rights movement and the you know, struggle for equality and, and opportunity? Uh, yes. they. So one person, he said, he asked me, well, he was telling me about like how he studied, when he studied American history, he studied about slavery and um study about the civil rights movement. He was like, oh yeah, I heard of Martin Luther King. Uh, I heard about slavery. Um, and he asked me if my grandparents uh, were like slaves. I said, well, I told him no. Uh, not my grandparents, my great-great was. But, uh, you know, I basically got to explain more about that. And they actually do know a little bit about it because they said that. And this is just more than one people person that uh, actually asked me about it. Um, even the foreign exchange students that came here uh, this past semester, um, they they knew about the civil rights movement. They knew some knowledge about the civil rights movement or about slavery. Um, but the crazy thing that uh, that I saw was that when I was with my friend, his phone uh, was on like the news, and they were talking about. So when we went to China, that's when the Dallas shooting in the Minnesota. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So that was the same time. And he, he, uh, talked about how he's like, wow, it seems like the police just doesn't like black people. Don't they? I was like, something like that, you know? And he was like, you know, the thing about me watching this on the news, I always hear about, I always see stuff about, uh, you know, the bombings and all that stuff. But he's like, but every time I hear something about America, it's always about a black person getting killed. And it seemed like that's just another terrorist attack that you always see, like, on the news. And France and dealing with Al-Qaeda, he's like, it's like, he was like, the police are like, 
you know, like the terrorists and they keep trying to kill the black people off. And I was like, hmm, I didn't think of that. And then when I finally got my phone turned back on, uh, I got Wi-Fi. The news was always talking about, you know, Ferguson, mm-hmm. Dallas and all that stuff. And I saw where he was like talking about how, you know, here, you know, we always see like, oh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, we always hear about them in the news, but it was like back to back to back. It seemed like ISIS and the countries with ISIS and all that stuff. Yeah. So. yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very, um, I would imagine, a very difficult concept to discuss outside your native language. Mm-hmm. Um, in English, you, you could talk about it all day. We could talk about it all day. But when you're trying to, to explain a concept like the understanding of race and racial politics and racial violence in the United States, it's, it's maybe a hard story to tell without having it sound as if the police are trying to kill off all the black folks, right? That, right. That's a difficult um, conversation to have in English, and it's doubly difficult, I would imagine, mm-hmm. not more so outside of your native language. Uh, but it's one of the things we've tried to do on this podcast was at least give folks some indication. And uh, Dr. DeForest and I are probably going to have to schedule um, another in-depth podcast on issues about race in the Trump era um, for a Chinese audience and hopefully get a get try to nail down some of these topics so they can understand better the experience of minority populations in the United States. So China is full of minority populations too, but they they have a different um, they have a different political structure uh, and, and a different approach to human rights and civil rights and things mm-hmm. of that nature than we do. So we we try to make it clear how, how at least it's supposed to work in the United States. So what other messages would you have for our Chinese audience? Both about your experiences um, as a student going over to China um, and about someone who has been to China who has returned to the United States and is therefore in the, the somewhat, not necessarily unique, but um, a privileged position of being able to, to comment with, with experience on both cultures. Well, for both uh, Americans going to China and Chinese coming to America, trying to understand the culture, be as open-minded as possible um, and embrace as much as the culture. Uh, so Chinese embrace an American-style culture. And if you're going to China, embrace the Chinese culture. Do what the Americans do and do what the Chinese do because, you know, if you really don't want to, if you want to stick to your own mindset, Oh, okay. I'm in America. I'm I'm in America, uh, and I'm I still have a very very traditional Chinese mindset. You know, as if I'm still in China. You're probably not gonna have the best experience. Same thing in going to China. You know, there's a couple kids on the trip. They didn't really enjoy it as much because they still wanted to go. They they wish that they spoke more English. They liked Guangzhou better than Xi'an because Guangzhou. Most, most of our student leaders spoke uh, good English. Um, but yeah, so it was like, you know, be prepared to be uncomfortable and just embrace it. Um, because, I mean, that's how life is. Life is not supposed to be all, all comfortable all the time. You can't move forward. You're really not going to move forward or far if you're sticking to what's the most comfortable. So... You're learning Chinese, go to China. If you want to learn English, go to America. And adjust, be comfortable, be open-minded to that type of stuff. And be willing to learn about the culture. Because that's another thing. It's one thing to, if I just went to China, just to learn the language and eat the food. Versus why their buildings are so wide. And why do y'all love nature so much you know instead of just observing everything why is this a special delicacy why is this the you know seventh uh treasure food in china it's just you know ask questions in america why do you like burgers so much why is fast food so popular you know we're fat you know it's just it's just be open-minded ask questions be uncomfortable you know, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. I've been in many uncomfortable situations while I was in China, from ordering food by myself to uh, 
only hanging out with my Chinese friends and none of them spoke English. Mm-hmm. So it, that was like putting myself in a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, even just hanging out uh, with them at the park and stuff and just talking to them, trying trying to have a nice conversation and asking them to teach me and tell me why is the history of their culture to understand it better because that's like the best way to advance improving your speaking skills or and not speaking skills your your approach to life because like since I've been in China I mean it's not even going to China even going to from the east coast to the west coast you just you see a lot of differences so it's just when you are open-minded, when you go to places that you are not comfortable and that has a completely different culture, your approach to life will probably be more broader and open. I think that's a good place to draw things to an end. Um, Reggie, I want to thank you for, for stepping out in front of the microphone instead of just being behind. Um, and and to encourage our our Chinese audience to um, to go to our our website and uh, and watch your documentary, um, the um, and and for all our listeners, whether it's um, whether you're in China or or here in the United States, to uh, to check it out and see what you can learn from it. Thank you very much for coming. No problem. Thank you. The Archways Podcast is a production of Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, USA, in partnership with the Guangdong Bayun University and Guangzhou's People's Republic of China. Archways is made possible through generous funding from the United States Embassy in Beijing, China, and through the College of Arts and Letters at Johnson C. Smith University. Additional support has been provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. You can email us at jcsuartsletters at gmail.com.